Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. As tonight, we are going to recap all six opening round groups of CONCACAF's first round of World Cup qualifying, the road to Qatar. Joining me tonight, uh, brand new people joining me on the show. Great to have them on. You can follow them. Uh, go on Twitter. Uh, it is at PodCACAF. World of Cotton Cacaf podcast. Joining me tonight, Eric Schmitz, Donald Wine the second. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me tonight to talk about the opening round of World Cup qualifying. Uh, you know, it's very important that everyone knows that the road to any World Cup has to start in the Caribbean, and then we move on and progress till we get to the next round, and then, of course, what was known as the Hex, moving into the octagonal, and then we get to USA, Mexico, and any other level of this confederation to move forward. Gentlemen, thank you for your time, and thank you for coming on. Appreciate you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Great. Wonderful. No problem at all. So um, let me ask you, Donald, first. Is this how you expected the groups to go? Uh, who was going to advance to the second round, or did you find there's been a couple of upsets here and there? Oh, there was definitely a couple of upsets, and, you know, as, as they say, that's why they play the games. I mean, when you look at some of the uh, teams that were expected to get out of this first round, a lot of them did. You know, you have El Salvador, you have Canada, you have Curacao, uh, and even Panama. Uh, but when you look at – and Haiti as well. But when you look at Group F, uh, St. Kitts and Nevis was uh, the underdog in that group. Trinidad and Tobago was the seeded team, and they do not make it St. Kitts and Nevis – uh, was the team that made it out of there. So that was unexpected, but also it's great to see that because we want to see, you know, Eric Eric and I are, are big island qualifier type guys. We like to see islands make it. For St. Kitts and Nevis to make it is an incredible achievement, and I hope that they can, you know, pull off another upset in round two. Oh, I agree with you there, Donald. And Eric, if I can ask you this, with the way that CONCACAF has been – uh, shall we say, liberated. We don't want to go too deep into what's been going on in the past, obviously. I think we all know this, what's been going on, of course, with certain people that have been running the Confederation. But with Victor Montagliani now running CONCACAF, the Canadian representative uh, of this Confederation, how much improvement have we seen so far? And it's not just for World Cup qualifying, the CONCACAF League, the Nations League now. Uh, are we seeing now this confederation starting to turn and say, you know, this is not just a confederation between the U.S. and Mexico. Now we're seeing these Caribbean islands finally coming to fruition, and it's being shown not just in the Champions League, but now through World Cup qualifying. Well, certainly. Uh, things have seemed like they've been on the up and up as of late. Um as the old saying goes, a leopard can't change their spots. Um, so it still remains to be seen. You see, still see problems 
with certain federations um, within CONCACAF as far as um, not being run very well. Uh, but under this leadership, you've definitely seen growth, and that's growth at the top, whether that's expanding the Gold Cup or at the bottom and seeing these more competitive World Cup qualifiers. And that's one of the reasons they did develop the Nations League is to have more competitions for some of these smaller countries to play. I mean, when you look at the bottom of CONCACAF, some of these small island nations, most of them would go four years between World Cup qualifying cycles, and those would be the only competitive games they would play. Uh, The financing of national teams at that level for some of these very small nations. And, I mean, St. Kitts and Nevis, yeah, they had a lot of success. That's an island nation of 53,000. You know, it's not necessarily a wide talent pool with wide finances uh, to develop a team to train them and compete with the Mexicos and the United States. But if you get them in situations like this, as Donald said, that's why you play the games. So it's good to see that the competition level has gone up, and I think you're only going to see growth going forward. And this is just uh, the first sign of that uh, coming to fruition. That's absolutely correct, and that's the one thing I think we all have to be happy about is that the level of competition within our confederation is starting to get better. It's starting to get a little bit more higher, and we have to make sure that everyone gets involved and we have to also make sure to see how competitive they are uh, in this one. So let's go ahead and re, um, let's, let's review all six first-round groups. And first, let's go to Group F. Donald, while Trinidad and Tobago was highly ranked as a high seed in this group, how disappointing, once again, has Trinidad and Tobago showed that not only that they did not get the necessary points to at least challenge St. Kitts and Nevis in the final group stage round match to try and go for the second round, but a nil-nil draw against the Bahamas and Nassau, and you already have the Bahamas out and done with only a point. I mean, I mean, what is going on with Trent Tobago, and why have they failed so many times, especially this early in the qualification rounds? Well, they've gone through a lot of turnover and, and has, within their federation, within their coaching staff. Uh, as, I don't know if you know this, but they just fired their coaching staff just a few hours ago uh, after this disappointment, uh-huh. which is which be expected. Uh, but even within their player pool, they've had a lot of turnover, and they really haven't been able to get a lot of the guys that they wanted uh, into camp or, or developing the way that they have. So, you know, Trinidad and Tobago has gone through these kind of ups and downs, too. If you recall, they were in the, you know, World Cup in 2006, and since then they've, they've only gotten to the Hex a couple more times. They, they haven't really featured uh, as a team that is regularly in the conversation. So uh, it's because of the cycles that they have, the generations of talent that they do have. They do get quite a bit, but a lot of those guys are on the older side of 30, and now they're trying to, you know, platter trade with, younger guys who have been unproven or just untested. And they met, you know, really, it's not even necessarily Trinidad. It's credit to St. Kitts and Nevis for playing how they did because they wanted to give them a run for their money, and they were able to do that. Trinidad and Tobago 
thought, you know, everyone thought this would be the class of group and they would beat up on the teams like Bahamas or maybe Guyana. Look at Puerto Rico as well. They, you know, they didn't, you know, feature very well throughout the group, but they were right there with them at the end. And they, you know, with Dave Sherrickin taking over in the middle of that, they, he was able to make Puerto Rico push for a spot in this next round. So Trinidad and Tobago just ran up against teams where they weren't, you know, they probably walked in thinking they were the, the kings of this group. And other teams said, we have another thing coming. And Eric, yeah, talking and about St. Kitts and Nevis. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say more on Trinidad and no, Tobago. Yeah. We did reference that the coaching staff had gotten fired. Uh, there had been some issues with the Federation with the hiring of that coach, Terry Fenwick. Um, there was just some yes. disputes about the pay rate he was getting. Um, things were not going well in the Trinidad and Tobago camp. I mean, they opened up qualifying with the win over Guyana. They, they took care of business off the bat. But in that second game in March, they ended up drawing Puerto Rico 1-1. It's, they had a 1-0 lead and gave up a goal. Uh, it was actually a 72nd-minute goal where Puerto Rico got their first result of qualifying. Uh, but those were the first points that Trinidad dropped. So that was what put them in a position where the game against the Bahamas, obviously, yes, you need to be beating teams like the Bahamas. They're two, ranked 201st in the world. Uh, their roster is mostly local guys. I think there's one forward on the Bahamas who plays in the Jamaican League. Uh, it's mostly semi-pro guys. You're turning in Tobago. You should be getting three points out of that, even if it's in Nassau. And to not even score a goal to draw points there when you know you need to get points to stay alive in World Cup qualifying, um, it's a massive disappointment for that uh, federation, which is, I mean, it's always been very chaotic over the last couple decades. And now they've cleaned out their coaching staff before – couple weeks before they have to play the gold cup. Uh, so there really isn't a lot of time to reevaluate because the next competition is coming right ahead. Um, but as far as qualifying in general, like this is a massive, massive failure for Trinidad and Tobago. And as a U.S. fan, after what happened four years ago, you hate to see it. Uh, but now you're looking at, okay, is Trinidad and Tobago falling off? or are these other countries stepping up? And Puerto Rico is a good example of a country that's stepping up. They didn't advance, but this is the best qualifying run they've ever had under Dave Sarakin. Uh They got two wins. Oh, right. They actually mm-hmm. they finished one point behind Trinidad and Tobago. But to see the growth in that t- program under a well-respected coach, it's like Puerto Rico could be one of those teams that hangs around the middle, middle of the pack in CONCACAF now. And Again, competition is always good, so seeing teams be more competitive is always uh, uh, good to see. And I was going to ask you, Eric, about St. Kitts and Nevis, because I've been hearing from the past that this is also an island nation that's been also uh, been building up as well, that they've been improving, that they can come out of the CFU and maybe challenge for a final spot uh, when we get to that final round, do you see that, guys, that St. Kitts and Nevis could be the next best Caribbean nation to advance and threaten a World Cup spot? Personally, I would love to see them get through the second round and get to the third round. 
with the U.S.-Mexico just to see where they really are at uh, as far as qualifying goes. Um, back in the last cycle, they did have a pretty solid record. They went 2-1-1 one, and one in their four games uh, in the 2018 cycle. Uh, they've been picking up points. They can score goals. Like I said, it's in a nation like this, it's a very small country. So if you get the right, almost like a golden generation, if you get like a good group of talent with the way CONCACAF is with a lot of these smaller nations, you can be competitive in spurts. And we might be seeing one of those spurts of St. Kitts and Nevis being competitive. I don't know how sustainable it is just because when you have such a small talent pool, eventually those guys age out. Um, but this is definitely something to build on even before we get to the second round of qualifying. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you there, and that's going to be very interesting. Group E, of course, St. Lucia pulled out just before the qualifying began in the first round. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, seeing a Haiti Donald um, coming back to, I guess, I wouldn't say prominence yet, but at least a solid start between them and, of course, Nicaragua. Uh, those two are obviously the top two of this group in Group B. And to see that both sides battling each other separately, obviously, before you got to their final group stage match against each other, uh, that second match between t- Haiti and Turks and Caicos, that was unreal. I didn't expect Haiti to destroy them the way that they did. Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to, you know, Haiti, Haiti has always been a strong team. Nicaragua has been a strong team recently. Uh, it, it just If you go back to the 2017 Gold Cup, Nicaragua was in that Gold Cup and in a group with the United States. So they, they've had some success in getting to uh, the major tournaments in this region uh, in the last few years. But Haiti has always been very strong. They're, they're not the best team in CONCACAF. They're not the worst team in CONCACAF, but they're always a team that when you play them, you got to watch out because they always have somebody who could who can beat you. And you know, you know beating up on the young on the on these smaller teams like Turks and Caicos, uh, that's one thing. But Haiti, you have to win those games. You have to put on a good effort because for for Haiti, that could have been the difference between you know going home and going to this next round. But that is what I like to see from these uh, from the Caribbean Football Union. We call it the, the sub region with all the Caribbean teams and the three teams that are on the South American continent. We want to see them be consistent. And having the games, as Eric said, getting these opportunities to play more games is going to make them more consistent. A stronger Caribbean is going to make Haiti stronger, is going to make Trinidad and Tobago come back stronger, is going to make Jamaica stronger. And that will up the profile of CONCACAF in the eyes of the world. I know some people uh, out there that are are used to watching European football is probably like, I mean, why Haiti? Why should we be worried about Haiti? Because Haiti's right here. And if Haiti is good, then CONCACAF is getting better. And that means that it's going to be a struggle to get to the World Cup, no matter even when they expand it in 2026. So I want to see Haiti succeed. I, you know, it'd be great to see them in the hex as well. I know they go up against Canada. That is a very, very tough opponent for Haiti. I know they would probably, when they got the draw, they probably were wishing to be in another group. But don't, make no mistake. Haiti has the tools to make an upset if they wanted to. It's just a matter of will they be able to line up against Canada twice and do just that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Eric, I mean, obviously, uh, Nicaragua, uh, they played very strong in this uh, tournament as well in this opening round. Um, that must have been a really difficult final game in the group uh, in E uh, for them to face Haiti. I mean, I thought we're going to see at least a bloodbath in this one, but um, obviously it was only one goal scored. Derek Etienne Jr. Uh, buried that ball uh, by for Haiti, and Nicaragua just could not seem to edge against uh, that uh, Caribbean nation, obviously. And uh, for Nicaragua, I mean, obviously it's for the next uh, World Cup qualifying cycle, but, you know, they're, they, I think they've proven as a Central American nation that, that you know, they're back and uh, they're going to try their best for 2026. Yeah, certainly. And Nicaragua, you got to give them credit. Like, they took care of business going into that last game. They were in a position where if you win, you're in. Um, obviously, Haiti had an advantage in goal difference, so uh, Nicaragua needed the win in that game, and Haiti is Haiti's a better team. They're, that's just what it is. Um, but they put themselves in a position where if you go in one game, you're into the next round, and that's the best thing they can really do. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you there. And uh, once again, it's uh, great battles at the end of this opening round of qualifying, especially between Panama and Dominican Republic. Donald, I have to say, um, you know, everyone knows that both Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic are the best baseball Caribbean islands in this hemisphere. Not much with soccer but we're seeing them actually producing players. Uh, Some of them have been sprinkled around in Major League Soccer. Um, And, of course, probably some of them are from descending in the New York City area. But still, though, Dominican Republic, even though they they fell short against Panama, Dominican Republic, in my opinion, is the next, and even Puerto Rico, like you said with Dave Sarakin. Guys, um, I think Dominican Republic are now showing that they care about, you know, playing football and doing their best to get out of the opening round. Yeah, I agree. And they really impressed me throughout this uh, because, honestly, when it comes to the Dominican Republic, you know, there weren't a lot of guys. You talked about the, the fact that they could recruit from, you know, the New York area or even the Miami area where there's hotbeds of talent uh, already. But they didn't have to do that to, to show and prove in this, you know, qualifying round. But that is just the base for them. Puerto Rico has a base now. Dominican Republic has a base now. And they're not going to be scared of guys like Panama. They're not going to be scared of those kind of teams that, you know, Panama, if you think about it, Panama should be in, if there was a hexagonal round, Panama would have been in it. Like, and they went toe-to-toe, and even though they lost 3-0, they showed that they could hang with them for a while. And, and that's, what they, that's the confidence that they need to continue to invest in their program, to invest in their league, their domestic leagues, to – you know, cultivate talent both domestically and also if they're looking for uh, people who have ties abroad. Uh, I mean, every every country does that as well to kind of round out their squad. And the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico are two teams that can really uh, elevate their game pretty pretty well in the next few years. And it'll be great to see how that happens for them. Mm-hmm. And, Eric, if I could also say this about Panama, obviously they have a good amount of players in the Major League Soccer uh, they play strongly, of course, in MLS. I mean, there's a couple playing, of course, with Seattle and Portland. 
but you, you, you felt that um, you know, there wasn't going to be too much of a challenge outside of the Dominican Republic in this group, and Panama really uh, showed their stuff. And obviously Anguilla uh, is not one of the stronger Caribbean sides uh, in this confederation or in this CFU, but still, though, that 10-goal uh, difference – uh, was probably huge for Panama to make sure that they leapfrogged a lot of people, but only a two-point lead at the time before facing Dominican Republic. Yeah, and before I to Panama, I do want to sh- give a shout-out to Anguilla, um, maybe the favorite nation of our uh, podcast. Um, the Dolphins up. are near, near and dear to our hearts. Um, Anguilla, I mean, it's – it's a tough situation for them. I mean, Anguilla hasn't scored a goal in qualifying since the 2002 cycle. The 2006 cycle was the last time they even gotten a result. So expectations for them were very low. You almost want to say they acquitted themselves well. Uh, their matchup against Barbados back in March, uh, it was nil-nil until 81st minute when Barbados was able to get a goal and they ended up a 1-0 final. Uh, they hung tough with Dominica after – even with a 3-0 scoreline. Uh, Anguilla, we love to see it, see the competitiveness. Obviously, they don't match up with a team like Panama. Panama going in, you knew, if you looked at this group, you're like, okay, Panama, they're getting through, obviously. And they did. They took care of business. But the thing with Panama is, in this first round of qualifying, man, if you look at March, it looked pretty dicey. Uh, Panama opened up against Barbados in their qualifying schedule. Uh, it took an 82nd-minute goal from Jair Katui, uh to get a 1-0 result against Barbados. Now, that game, it was Panama's home game, but it was played in Dominican Republic. And you'll see throughout a lot of these uh, groups that some teams just did not have a home field advantage. But even if you're Panama, this shouldn't be in doubt. It's Barbados. Panama is coming off being in the World Cup, you know. So they have that really dicey first match. And then their second match, they're facing Dominica, and they're up one nothing. It was an own goal. They're up one nothing for most of the match. 82nd minute, Dominica ties it up. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, we barely beat Barbados. And now it's Dominica. We, like – we might only get a point out of this. And they ended up stealing a goal a couple minutes later. They got a 2-1 result. So after March, they're still sitting on six points. And with that game against Anguilla coming up, they took care of business. They went into that final game with the nine nine points and a really good goal difference. And it was just going to be tough sledding for the Dominican Republic. And Panama got their result, and they're through. I mean, you look at their, their uh, st- spot in the standings. Four wins, zero losses, zero draws, plus 18 goal difference. It doesn't look like it was in doubt at all. But back in March, it was looking pretty dicey, which is kind of interesting. And you kind of wonder how they're going to match up against Curacao in this second round. Yep, we're going to can't wait for that. That's going to be exciting. Group C, um, before we get into this group, you know, Donald, I, I have to admit that what we are seeing out of Curaçao has been, I would say, a revelation. Obviously, formerly known as the Netherlands Antilles. Uh, I, get, I don't know if the Dutch are still uh, – I, I don't know if the island is still under Dutch law, I should say. 
But the job that was done by Remco Bicentini, who is no longer obviously the head coach of Curacao now, who's with uh, the uh, coaching staff in Canada, you've you got to give him credit for what he has done with this national team. That Gold Cup trip in the last edition really cemented, I would like to think, cemented his you know, stock to improve. And obviously, I don't think he would have left them. Curacao Football Federation would have just allowed him to stay there. And they went after a higher profile name in Gustadink. And of course, listen, when you get a guy like Gustadink, you know, uh, you're going to improve your status. But, you know, the way that he was exited by the Curacao Football Federation, you know, it's amazing what he has done with that island nation and their national team program. It really is. And, you know, Eric, Eric and I are probably chuckling because we, on our most recent podcast, we did discuss Curacao and discuss this very thing uh, and just the, the wildness over uh, his exit and the enter of uh, hitting. But, uh, I mean, when it comes to Curacao, they are what, you know, St. Kitts and Nevis was like a few years ago or, you know, what they are now. Like Curacao really has elevated their game. They have been able to do one thing very, very well and that is keep their talent at home. And before, when they were under fully under uh, Dutch rule, a lot of Netherlands players were coming from Curacao or coming from Suriname or coming from these other the Netherlands Antilles, and they were you know, saying, hey, we got better chance of being on the Dutch team over here. Curacao keeping some of those guys in their uniforms, and that was the first step. It's to, it's to stop, stem that tide and keep some of their best players at home. After that, they then be able, were able to put these guys in the positions for, for them to improve individually and collectively. And I think what they're looking for was they want to take this to the next level. They realize that they, this is an excellent opportunity for them to make a World Cup, to be the smallest nation ever to make a World Cup. And they are trying to take advantage of that. Have they done it in a way that is probably – uh, people could look at both ways. Yeah, absolutely, with, especially with the coaching situation. I mean, if you recall, even just COVID, so they brought in, brought in Patrick Clivert to coach on an interim basis while the coach was out with COVID. Uh, and it's great to be able to have that kind of pipeline, right? It's great to be able to call a coach that is a legend on, on the field and say, yeah, come coach us for a couple of games and, um, and get us to the next round of the World Cup qualifying. So Curacao is going to be a team that is – They've already established their reputation. They've already established their foundation. They've built their base, and now they're going for it. And I like that because, again, with these islands, sometimes they get to that second-to-last step, and then they flounder or something happens or a coaching situation happens or, you know, they lose some players. They have, they're going to that final level. They're saying, hey, we want to get to the octagon, and we're here. And we saw that at the Gold Cup a couple of years ago. And now we're going to see it again at the Gold Cup if, they, if they're able to qualify. And then at the same time, we are going to see this in this next round. Just, this, just starting tomorrow, Curacao is going to go for it. And that's what I like about it. When you watch them play, they're absolutely going for it every single play. They're leaving it all on the field. And they're playing with the passion that, you know, frankly, a lot of, a lot of teams need to play with. But they do it because they know that there is some urgency there. And that is where they separate themselves from a lot of places in the Caribbean. And Eric, how big was Curacao 
winning 8-0 over the British Virgin Islands, while Guatemala had a 10-0 destruction over St. Vincent and Grenadines. And that gave Curaçao that one goal uh, advantage in the goal score department before even that last match was going to get played. Uh, that was amazing, and then the, the scoreless draw was even more amazing because I couldn't believe that Curaçao held off. Now, I don't know how strong Guatemala is these days because we all know what happened with their little uh, problems with uh, you know, FIFA and you know, running to the uh, governor of sport for the regular Guatemalan uh, government, but um, Curaçao really proved to me that they are a dangerous side. And I've always felt that Jamaica and Trinidad-Tobago are the two best Caribbean nations in this confederation. I feel like Curaçao has already over uh, leapfrogged over Trinidad-Tobago by leaps and bounds. Oh, absolutely. And you see Curaçao, um, and Donald referenced it, they're doing a very good job recruiting talent. Um, of course, they've got guys all over Europe um, having that pipeline through the Netherlands. Uh, they've got there's star players, Leandro Bacuna, who's at Cardiff City. He's been in the Premier League. He's been in the championship. Uh, his brother, Juninho, there as well. Um, but the really the backbone of that team is goalkeeper Eloy Room, uh, of course, of the Columbus crew. And having a strong keeper and star talent at that level of CONCACAF, you're going to get results. Um, obviously, it's really really tough situation for Guatemala. Uh, Guatemala is still building themselves back up after the suspension back in 2016 by FIFA. Um, they're, they're on their way up, but this is definitely a setback. And obviously goal differential is huge. I'm sure I watched some of the game. Curaçao definitely played knowing that they only needed a draw. And Guatemala, they had chances, they just could not convert. And it's a tough situation for Guatemala, especially because that they had that one match against Curaçao. Of course, you're only playing one leg against each team, and the game was in Curaçao. So Guatemala doesn't even get the return leg uh, to balance it out. And you lose the goal difference by one goal scored. Like the goal difference was matched at plus 14, but Curaçao had one extra goal scored. They were 15-4-1 against Guatemala. Three wins, a draw, 14 goals for Did not give up a goal in all four games, and they are going home. Um, obviously, qualifying is this cycle has been affected by the compressed schedule, so you're not getting the home and away legs. I really wonder what would have happened for Guatemala if they would have been able to play home and away to all these teams. No, I agree with you there, because obviously if they would have hosted a home match against uh, <clears throat> Curacao, they probably would have had the advantage at home, basically, because anytime you go down to the Central American countries, uh, you've got to be prepared for whatever's going to be thrown at you or yelled at you, so you've got to always uh, be aware of who you're facing uh, all the time down in these Central American countries. Uh, Group B, gentlemen, I don't really want to talk about Canada. I think we all knew that uh, Canada was the strongest nation uh, to win this group, obviously. But I want to talk about Suriname. And, Donald, Suriname to me is also proven to me that they have grown into a better footballing nation as we speak right now. Um, if Canada was not in the group, would you say Suriname would have won it? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, they're following the, the blueprint that Curacao has laid out for them. Uh, again, another, uh, another nation that has been sending a lot of teams to uh, the Dutch uh, national team over the years. Uh, a lot of legends were born in Suriname or have Surinamese roots. Uh, but what they did is, again, they said, hey, let's keep some of these guys at home. Let's cultivate. Let's put money into uh, our, our domestic league. Let's put money into investing into our program, and let's see what we can do. They're, they're a, probably a step below what Curacao is at now. But they're, they have that foundation now, and now they have the confidence because they can go in and know that they can beat anyone. I mean, Canada was always going to get out of this group. They, they gave up one goal. They scored 27. It was not going to be close. But Cernan at least said, hey, we're at least going to give it a good, give it a shot and see where we fall, see how, how good we could be against some of the top teams in this region. So they're right there. They're on that next level underneath Curacao, underneath probably St. Kitts And now we'll see how they build on that confidence. We'll see how they continue to invest in their domestic league and to invest into their national team programs and really see how they can blossom from there. Because, you know, four years from now, they could be a team that could be seeded uh, and one of those teams that could be seeded in this first round so that they have the upper hand when it comes to uh, getting out of this group. And yeah, Eric, just what to else touch have on you seen? Another thing yep. Suriname, just to touch another thing on Suriname, yep. um, going back, like they were in a position going into that final game where if they would have got a result against Canada, if they can sneak out a win, they're through. But Suriname, it's talk, talking about uh, raising your status in CONCACAF. They've qualified for Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. They will be in the Gold Cup next month. And in Nations League, they were promoted out of League B. So they will be in League A facing top competition when that competition starts uh, next June uh, for the next cycle. Obviously, we don't know a draw quite yet. Um, but Suriname is going to be playing with the top teams in CONCACAF um, over the next year and it's good for their program to get these games and it's good for them to get games of importance to integrate all these new recruits that they've been able to get from Europe um, into their uh, squad. Yeah, I agree with you there, obviously, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, before we talk about Group A, uh, we are going to talk about Group A, but I, I really want to talk about this because I felt that, gentlemen, this final group, in Group A, the way the final day was uh, lining up. Now, granted, it was a shame that one started at 7 and the other one started around uh, 9 o'clock, which you would have liked to have seen both matches start at the same time. Uh, did not happen. But how great was it to see Montserrat, Donald, challenging that top spot, but at the same time, uh, you have Montserrat hosting Grenada, El Salvador hosting Antigua and Barbuda, and we almost had, if there was going to be a draw between El Salvador and Antigua, and in Montserrat, which they did win, but unfortunately didn't score the amount of goals to at least force a very interesting tiebreaker, how big were you and Eric looking for that? Because I was hoping to see a real battle uh, for those last two group stage games in Group A? Well, I'll leave the two, uh, Eric, in a minute just to discuss the chaos theory that, we, that he developed when it came to Group A because he laid it out quite, quite awesomely uh, online. But uh, when it comes to these teams, we had two teams in this group that 
we both love. Montserrat and Tequim Barbuda, both countries that we were hoping to one of them to get through. And there was a moment where we were just kind of going back and forth, uh, talking with our friends about how close this was to happening. I mean, entering this final match day, Antigua Barbuda was technically in first in the group. Uh, they were right ahead of El Salvador. Of course, El Salvador ended up winning uh, 3-0 at home, and that's what secured it. And if you think about it like this, El Salvador, all the seeded teams, El Salvador, Canada, Curacao, Panama, Trinidad, Tobago, and, uh, and Haiti, all of them had the privilege of ending this cycle at home, and all of them won at home. That was the difference for all of these games. And so, again, like, like Eric said, it would have been great to see El Salvador go to an Antigua Barbuda and see what happens, go to a Montserrat and see what happens. Because if that happens, who knows what – I mean, in this chaos theory, it was great to see it happening in real time and I'm with you, and I wish that they were occurring at the same time, but CONCACAF doesn't like to do it that way. But at the end of the day, you have to give your hat, take your hats off to Montserrat and Antigua Barbuda for, for giving it uh, the most best effort that they possibly could. El Salvador was uh, really, really worried as for, for a minute there that they weren't going to make it out of the group and we wouldn't have to go to San Salvador, but uh, they keep their hopes alive by beating Antigua Barbuda. Montserrat was right there at the end. Antigua was right there at the end. And Grenada, you know, even though they didn't win, was giving people fits uh, quite a bit. So uh, I really appreciated this group. And, and I'll leave it to Eric to talk about the actual, the chaos theory and just the, just the, all the different scenarios because there was a ton of them. But it was great to kind of watch that with open eyes and see all of it develop. Yeah, and the, the thing you, you like most about CONCACAF is chaos. And this was the group where you had the, <laughs> this the most all potential yeah. for chaos. This was this was all of it. And even taking it a step back, like the reason we got in this situation is when Montserrat played El Salvador, Montserrat actually their home game had they didn't get to play at, in at home in Montserrat. They actually had to play the game in Curacao. Uh ended up a one one draw with El Salvador. But it ended up a one one draw with an 89th-minute goal to tie it. Um, Montserrat's Lyle Taylor was the one who nodded it up, and that's the reason they were even in a position in the final day to to still have a shot. Now, they needed to win by at least five uh, in that game against Grenada, and they didn't get enough goals. Uh, it kind of put a damper on that final game, knowing that there wasn't multiple scenarios for who could get through. It was going to come down to either El Salvador, Antigua, and Barbuda. Um, But Montserrat, I mean, they ended two wins, two draws, plus five goal difference. Like, that's a very good showing for a very small island nation who's been uh, on the rise in CONCACAF. Um, As far as Antigua and Barbuda goes, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. They have to go to El Salvador for that game where if they would have won, they would have been in. Uh, but El Salvador gets receiving and they get the advantage of playing that match at home. And they took care of business and they got through. Um, but yeah, if Montserrat would have been able to bury a couple more goals and we're looking at tiebreakers that would have gone down. It would have gone uh, points. The head to head was a tie. The goals scored against each other was a tie. Uh, Goal difference could have been a tie. Goal scored could have been a tie. It could have gone all the way down based on results to fair play, which 
actually Montserrat would have advanced on. Uh, El Salvador actually got ended up getting a couple of yellows and a red uh, in that final match uh, against Antigua and Barbuda, but Montserrat just couldn't get enough goals, and they couldn't get Antigua to get a draw out of that. Uh, so it's unfortunate for them, but El Salvador moves on, no worse for wear, and they actually get a really good draw in the second round against St. Kitts and Nevis, you know. Um, it's a really good spot for El Salvador. They got business taken care of and moving on. See, that's where I'm, I'm glad you're on the show, Eric, because I also embrace a little chaos, too, with this whole situation. I really wanted to see uh, not only Montserrat getting the three-point win, but scoring at least five goals or more to threaten both El Salvador and Antigua and Barbuda, because if those two sides would have drawn that night, like you said, the whole fair play thing would have been really, really interesting to watch. And at the same time, though, because if Montserrat would have gotten uh, maybe a sixth or a seventh goal, now we know they only got uh, two goals, and unfortunately Grenada scored one, so that kind of put a damper on it a little bit, but still, though, not enough. By Montserrat to really challenge, only on the points, but still, though, uh, I was really hoping, guys, for Montserrat to try and score at least up to five or more and to threaten both El Salvador and Antigua and Barbuda so they can advance on goal differential because that really would have been great, Donald. That probably would have been the best scenario that CONCACAF would have hoped for for one of their groups to really you know, bring it down to the final minutes between El Salvador and and Antigua and Barbuda. Yeah, I mean, it, that's what you want. You mean, when you're, when you're looking at these, they set these up deliberately where the top two teams, theoretically in each group, we're going to play each other in the last match day and to make it for the drama that we see uh, when you look at any other major tournament where you have final match days where teams are playing at the same time. They wanted that drama. And it's unfortunate that we didn't get a lot of it, uh, except for in Group A, we kind of had some of it. But it really was uh, – that was how it was set up. And really what we saw is there were some teams that showed out. I mean, the one place where I thought there would have been drama would have been Trinidad and Tobago versus St. Kitts and Nevis. But St. Kitts and Nevis took care of business and Trinidad didn't. So it made that – it negated the drama that would have been there on that final day. So I think they set it up right. It's just that some of these teams outperformed everyone else and some teams kind of you know showed that they could hang with the best, and that's where the drama lied. Yep, I agree with you there. Eric, I want to ask you this question. Um, do In the past, we've seen goal aggregate open up uh, the first round, even a second round for some of these Caribbean nations uh, to fight for those next rounds before you get to the semifinal round. Do you like it better, group stage, unlike goal aggregate to begin qualifying, or do you think that it's going to revert back to uh, being like the old way, like having goal aggregate, and then you get to the semifinal round? Well, first off, it's going to be kind of tough to gauge how qualifying is going to be impacted by the expansion of the World Cup going forward, especially in 2026 with three CONCACAF nations being considered hosts. Um, we don't know what the format's going to look like, there are positives and negatives to each of the, the formats. Um, I feel like the home and away aggregates, uh, there's more potential for upsets because it's such a, it's a tighter window. It's head-to-head. You get one big result one way, 
and a team's moving on, a team is out. But with these group stages, it's almost a positive and a negative for, especially for these smaller countries, because they're getting more games against a wider variety of teams and uh, talent levels. But with the expanded group, the cream is always going to rise to the top. So it's a little bit harder for these smaller countries to get out of these groups, but they're getting more games. So you wonder if it's, is it better for their development to find a way to advance or is it better to get that competition from, from more games um, instead of maybe being out after playing only two World Cup qualifiers? Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with that because I when you're, mm-hmm. I was gonna say I agree with that because when you're when you're when you're a small team, when you're the team that's picked to be right for the upset, you don't want any second chances. You don't want another opportunity for a big team to come back. You want to get them, uh, be your best on one day and not have to be your best on multiple days. And for the big teams, they want to have room for error. They want to have, hey, I can I can take a loss here or there and be okay. Whereas in this kind of format that was obviously due to COVID, there was no room for error for some of these teams. As you see with Trinidad, they had a couple of bad days, they're out. You have, you know, a couple a couple of teams where they just had one bad day and they're out. So you for a big team, they want to have some room to be able to slip up or maybe, you know, you know, field some smaller teams and, and take their best shot. You want as few you want to be able to grow by playing a lot of games, but to advance you have to be able to get a team on their worst day and you play their best. And you only need that once. You only want that once because you don't want to have to, you know, have fire, you know, fish in a barrel every single every single time you go out. You want it once so that you can shock the world and make it to the next round. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you guys there. Now let's move on before we get to the second round. Gentlemen, we finally saw matches in this first round being played on the brand new Paramount Plus app through CBS, through CBS, and of course their CBS Sports Department is also part of the app. Were you able to watch these games through the app? And if you did, what's your overall belief about not only having CONCACAF matches being seen without having to go through the illegal streaming that everyone wants to find, but at the same time, is CBS in your mind more respected now because they want to show the earlier rounds of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and other CONCACAF events once uh, you know uh, they get their, uh, I, you would say, I guess, once Fox is done with their Gold Cup coverage? Oh, I mean, on my end, certainly, the respect is all to CBS for giving our CONCACAF its proper due. Um, Now, it should be noted that they didn't have every game. Um, There were some games that were not available on Paramount Plus that were available streamed on Federation Facebook pages, on Twitter, on Twitch. Um, There were ways to access all of the games, but putting these matches on a platform like this where the the streaming quality was good. Um, They definitely uh, made a point to make them available on the platform. Uh, It's good making these more accessible because people should know that the World Cup does not start next November. The World Cup started in March. And 
part of this process is what makes the entire tournament what it is. It, you got to start at the bottom and work your way in. Unless you're hosting, you're not – you have to win your way in. And uh, making these matches not only available to watch for fans, like this is what recruiting does, you know? Like if you're, ma- you're making these matches available for people who may be uh, available to play for these uh, countries. They, if you're – a U.S. citizen who might have some heritage, and you can turn on these games and you become more familiar with um, these smaller countries. And I think I would like to I would like to think that uh, they definitely got uh, the viewership to make this make sense going forward. But making these matches available makes Concacaf more relevant, makes these competitions more relevant, and for the game itself, it's just we're all better off for it. I agree. And when it comes to, I'll add this, uh, I remember the days of the illegal streams. I remember just, I mean, four years ago for the early time, early uh, rounds of World Cup qualifying, you had to go to what was called Flow Sports. As a DC United fan, I will tell you that Flow Sports was the absolute worst thing on the planet. Uh, you would turn on uh, Canada versus Suriname and you would get uh, women's volleyball in the Big Ten. And you're like, hey, that's fine but that's not what I'm trying to watch here. So, you know, Paramount Plus really elevated the platform. And really, honestly, it opened up to a lot of homes because a lot of homes already had access to Paramount Plus because of Champions League, because of now they're getting Serie A, they're pumping a lot of money into soccer, which is only going to help, you know, the NWSL. It's going to help all these leagues, but it's also going to help CONCACAF as a whole. They're putting Nations League on there. They're putting World Cup qualifying. They're putting – CONCACAF Champions League, and then in 2023, they'll have the Women's Nations League. So they're putting all their properties into this basket, and it makes it accessible for so many people. And even throwing some of these games – I think the next step would be to throw some of these games on a CBS Sports Network. Or, you know, I mean, obviously they'll have some games on CBS, uh, the bigger games that they can get involved in the United States or Mexico. But having more games on linear TV and on this platform, making it more accessible to hundreds of millions of soccer fans who are just looking for anything uh, and looking to learn more about their region is really going to help CONCACAF and it's going to funnel money into these programs so that these teams can continue improving. No, I agree with you both. And I, I, I'm very happy with what CBS has done. Their Paramount Plus app, obviously I've been watching some of these games from this app is on my phone as well. And I'm very excited for the future of soccer on CBS. And hopefully we'll get more games. Uh, who knows? Maybe CBS will be taking on MLS as well. We'll have to wait and see. But for now, I'm enjoying what CBS has done for not just having soccer on their app, but for CONCACAF as well. Uh, Nations League was on it. The CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers right now. And who knows? Maybe the Gold Cup will be on there as well. We'll have to wait and see uh, once this deal with Fox is over with and we'll see what happens. But outside of that, gentlemen, it's time to preview the second round matches. Let's start with the one with the A versus F matchup. St. Kitts and Nevis versus El Salvador. Goal aggregate, of course, with away goals. Gentlemen, we'll go with you on this one. Donald, you, and then Eric. Uh, we're, We're talking predictions here? Predictions. All right. So I'm going to give you two predictions. I'm going to give you 
who I want and who I think is, is going to go through. So who do I want? And Eric may agree with me on almost all of these because we are team Caribbean football union. I'm going St. Kitts and Nevis, Haiti and Curacao. Who do I think is going to go through? I think El Salvador does take out St. Kitts and Nevis. Although I think that is the matchup of the round. I think Canada does, does very well. And they, they make quick work of Haiti and I'm still going to go Curacao. I, I, I've seen Panama play and I've seen Curacao play and I'm more intrigued by how Curacao has been playing and how, again, how they go after teams and they go for it. I think they go for it and I think they make the octagon. Yeah. And my heart definitely wants to say St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, but my brain says El Salvador is going to get business done. Um, They've just got a more experienced squad. But being a home and away, all it takes is one good outing where you build up enough goals uh, to get through. So I'm really, really rooting on the Sugar Boys, but uh, it's going to have to be El Salvador getting through there. Um, Unfortunately, I believe Canada, uh, our small neighbor to the north, is going to uh, (laughs) find a way to get past Haiti. Um, I mean, they just have the talent. That program is just on a rocket ship. Uh, towards the top of CONCACAF. I think this might be one of the last times that they're really going to have to struggle their way up through qualifying. Um, so they'll knock out Haiti. And then I'm just to change things up, I think Panama is going to end up uh, knocking off Curacao. Uh, I mean, that that federation has been through this before. They've found their way to the World Cup. I'd like to think they can find their way to the octagon uh, in that final round. Um, even though Curacao is they're on the up and up, uh, but Panama has got a little bit more experience. Well, gentlemen, this will do it for the show tonight. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. And if you'd like another CONCACAF point of view with these gentlemen, of course, it is the World of CONCACAF Podcast. Follow them on Twitter at Pod Kakaf, P-O-D-C-A-C-A-F. Eric Schmitz, Donald Wine the second gentleman. Thank you for helping me out today, and hopefully have you back on to review the second round when we get there. Thank you very much. Hey, appreciate Thanks a lot, you. Daniel. We really appreciate it. Thank you, and I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye bye. And just to let everyone know. Uh, the second round matches first leg will be on tomorrow which is Saturday June the 12th that will be everything on Paramount plus second leg will be on Tuesday the 15th of June and then of course whoever wins their respective group games in goal aggregate they will move on to the final round of qualifying which will begin in September and that will be exciting, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Outside of that, I want to thank once again to my guests tonight, Eric Schmitz, Donald Wine II. For them, they are the World of CONCACAF podcast, PodCACAF on Twitter. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Join me this coming Monday as we get back to the regular For Your Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. Have a good night. Take care. So long. Bye-bye for now. And enjoy World Cup qualifying 
with CONCACAF. And don't forget in July, CONCACAF Gold Cup will be on display. Join me, of course, for review shows on the USA Games in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.